When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. (gasps) No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone. Today on the FPL Wire, we'll be wiring up with a very special guest who is currently ranked number two in the Fantasy Football Scout Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Zofa, and I'm joined as usual by my co host, Late Riser. Hey, Zofa, how's everything going? I'm so, so, so kicked for today because I think we just have an absolute banger of a guest who's been phenomenal in the past few years. I've been chatting with him on Twitter as well. And I hear, I hear that you've also been talking to him in the past few weeks a fair bit. So why don't you just go on and introduce him? So, Tom, it's our pleasure to absolutely have you on over here. So let me just tell you a little bit about him. Our guest, Tom Stephenson, a.k.a. FPL Badgers 9, is ranked second in the Scout Hall of Fame with six top 10K finishes and an average rank of 1147 over the last three seasons. Amazing. So he's one of the most consistent FPL managers around and this consistency is all the more remarkable given the new influx of players in the game recently. Absolute honor to have you on here, Tom. How are you doing? Tom? Sorry, I was uh, struggling to hear us off there. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. A uh, real pleasure. Um, yeah, I uh, watch the pods quite regularly. So uh, yeah, really uh, a great honor to, to come on today. The honor is all ours. So how have you been finding it so far? Are you in the FPL mood yet or just getting there? Just getting there, I think. Obviously, there was the Euros. Um, it was a pretty hard, long season uh, due to the, the COVID impact last season. So, yeah, just starting to to have a look at things, do a bit of planning, a bit of tinkering. So, uh, yeah, starting to get back into it. 
you know everybody keeps talking about the number of players in the game increasing and it becoming a lot better tougher to get the top 10k and everybody's talking about how the top 50k the top 60k is the new top 10k and then this guy here tom you managed to get an average rank of 1100 in the last three seasons that just absolutely absolutely blows my mind and especially in a season like last season which was the covid season even the last season before that it wasn't a normal season how are you managing the consistency tom I mean, I don't think it's, you know, one thing. Um, I guess it's, you know, lots of things that you try to do over the season. Just experience, try and be adaptable, try and be patient. There's a whole host of of different things that I try to do over the, you know, over the years. I can't wait to dive into it. So we'll just plug the sponsors and then we'll yeah. right, get right into it. Yeah, that's so right. So let's just do the sponsor plug. Then I want to tell everyone about Tom's rank history because it really needs mentioning again. So a quick word about our sponsors. Dreamset Go is a global portal for fans to gain access to sporting events around the world. Accommodation, flight tickets, hospitality, stadium visits, everything can be tailored exactly to your requirements. They also do celebrity experiences which include masterclasses with your favorite sports celebrity or something as simple as birthday shoutouts. You can find links to the products in the description below. Also just a little bit of an update on Dreamset Go. They've been working in the background and are in the midst of tying up with some absolutely awesome clubs uh, where you can get travel packages to watch games in the second half of the season out there so if there's any clubs that you are interested in to travel to in the UK then let us know in the comments as well we'll put out a tweet to get a feeler, feeler of this as well also uh, the FPL wire is a part of the fantasy football scout network all the stats that you see on our part are from fantasy football scout if you haven't already registered now is the right time to get into it i think they have a discount on as well if you are registering for ff scout then make sure you're using the links in the description below we're affiliate members and it helps us as well it helps us grow the channel uh, also we do have a patreon as well we switched off last month but they put it on again uh, it's simple in you, you can log on to patreon.com/thefplwire and you can either pay 3 pounds or 6 pounds a month just to support us there's no added benefits all of our content is going to be free throughout the season is just in case you want to support us we also have a league setup the league code is something you can see on the screen uh, for our audio listeners the league code is gk T I Y M. Uh, we're in the midst of finalizing the prices that we have for the manager of the month, as well as the person who wins the league. So make sure uh, that there's some awesome prizes up for grabs. So make sure you're joining the league. I think that's it from me, uh, Tom. I just want to get into, you know, talking to you and figuring out how the consistency comes. But tell us uh, a little bit about how you fell in love with FPL and how long have you been playing fantasy sport? Ah, uh, I mean, I guess I think it's. I think we're coming into the 14th 15th season now so quite a long time obviously really enjoy football really into my football really into sports in general i also uh, watch a lot of cycling cricket um and pretty much any sport to be honest but um in terms of the the fantasy side of things i guess it started when some friends were were playing the game and i was yeah kind of encouraged to get involved and then i obviously wanted to beat them and then it kind of grew from there really enjoyed it was pretty casual to be honest at first but uh, over the years started to take it a bit more seriously get really into it and uh, yeah really enjoy it but i play other fantasy games as well i play fantasy cycling and different things across the season but not to the same extent as fpl are you as good at those as you are at fpl no not really <laughs> not really i'll give it a go but yeah 
not not so good. But I'm just looking at your rank history. Yeah, I just want to go through it again. I think 2007, you probably started midway or a bit late. Then after that, it's 11K, 35K, 12K, 18K, 4K, 22K, 11K, 5K, 4K, 29K. And what is really interesting to me, the last three seasons, which I consider to be the most difficult, right? I've had some of my worst ranks over the last three, four years. And that's when you've achieved your best ranks, 1841, 375, 1225. What have you done different these last three seasons, you would say, from the years previous? Yeah, so definitely for, for me, the last few years, I've started to take it a bit more seriously. I started to realise I was quite high up in the Hall of Fame, started to kind of, you know, have a target to aim for. Maybe in prior years, I would relax a little bit near the end when I'd kind of got, you know, done fairly well in my mini league. I was maybe top of that. So I started to really try and focus on, you know, really driving right till the end and doing as best I could. So I think that's the one of the biggest things. And then equally, I think I've mentioned it before on, on some other pods that, you know, I used to take quite a lot of hits, especially in those early days. And while I appreciate hits often can work, I just think that, you know, you're up against some managers who don't take hits. And so at least thinking about trying to minimize it and making sure that if you do take hits, you're really trying to, you know, get a really big benefit from that. And so I've kind of changed the way I've, I play the game a little bit in the last couple of years. So, so what changes have you made outside yeah. of the hits? How have you adapted? I mean, I guess other things I've done, I, I definitely focus a lot more on captaincy. I'd never used to focus on that until right at the last minute. I'd spend the entire week filling around with my team, tinkering, working out what transfers I was going to do, get really into that. And then like five minutes before the deadline, I'd be like, oh, who's my captain? I wouldn't plan it. I wouldn't think about it. And now, definitely the last few years, I try to really think about who it's going to be, like, you know, looking six weeks maybe in advance, starting to think that maybe I need to do a transfer for a captaincy option. And in particular, trying to cut out the more extravagant captaincy picks, which I know sounds a bit boring. But from my experience, I just kind of found that picking the premiums is generally the better move. You know, you pay a lot of money for those guys and they're not the best value propositions in the game. And it just feels that if you're paying that much money, you should be utilizing those as much as possible. So now I really try to stick to the premiums, even if I want to go down a slight differential route. And obviously there'll be weeks where, um, you know, there are different options on the table because maybe a host of the premiums, maybe you've got two premiums in your team and they both have really hard fixtures. Maybe they play each other. So that, you know, that those weeks are the opportunities I, I see to pick the differentials, but wherever I can, I do try to stick to the premiums. So last year I definitely improved in terms of my captaincy. Please elaborate I, I, on that. Well, I think I ended up, with about 650 captaincy points, which I think was very close to the guy who won it. I think he was about 665. So I don't think I played that well in many aspects of the game last year. I didn't use my chips particularly well. I think I got nine points on my bench boost. I think I got eight points on my triple captain. I used my free hit chip in a week, I think it was game week 18, where it wasn't really necessary. And I knows off you absolutely smashed it in game week 29, where you got about 80 points and I was down on about 38. So there was a big 
error for me there. Equally, I didn't have Son at the start of the season. In fact, I did a kind of hokey pokey in managing to miss all his returns. Got, got him in, then he hauled when I didn't have him. Then I got him in again. Then he got injured, so I took him out. Then he hauled again. The Mourinho so, lied at the middle as well, I remember oh, that. Oh, and I believed him, basically. Yeah. So, like an idiot, I fell for that one, absolutely. And so, after three game weeks, I was at 3.5 million. And and like I say, the chip usage wasn't good. The thing that basically really saved me was the captaincy picks. So, it really shows, you know, if you focus on that, how that can save you or really push you forward. And how, I definitely, I definitely never used to concentrate on that. So, how, how do you arrive at a captaincy decision? Are, are there any particular stats that you're monitoring week on week? What's the thinking? I'm guessing it must be a lot of Salah, Bruno, and Kane last season, primarily. But what's the process in making the decision? I mean, I'll, I'll look at the stats. I'll try and look at the, you know, the form. I'll try to obviously look at the fixtures. Are going to be the biggest driver. For me, fixtures drive a huge amount. You know, we talk about form, but most form is driven by the fixtures. You know, at the end of last season, Liverpool had looked pretty atrocious for large spells of last year. And suddenly they had a very appetising fixture and a target to get into that fourth spot. And so it's no real surprise that then their players started delivering. And so it made sense there to load up on Liverpool players. And obviously Salah was being captained a lot by myself. Earlier in the season, I didn't have Kane very much. I think I had him for a handful of games. I did move to Kevin De Bruyne uh, at a pretty good time. So I think around about game weeks 9-10, Man City had a really good run of fixtures. At that point, I brought in two Man City defenders and De Bruyne and captained him for a couple of games where he did well. And that set me in good stead. But yeah, generally, I'd say fixtures probably pretty much the most important. And then, obviously, I'll be keeping an eye on the stats. But to be frank, a lot of these premium players, you kind of know what you get from them. You know, they've been doing it for a number of years. And, and while I appreciate that we may get other players that will start to, you know, come onto our, you know, our horizon of, you know, the ones that we could choose, at the end of the day, you're paying the 12 million for those premiums there's and there's only really three or four of them at this stage so yeah that's that's kind of how i work on uh, on the captaincy did you did you take into account home away last year and if not are you planning to take into account that into account this year yeah home and away was almost pointless looking at last year i mean let's be frank uh, i think there was more away points than home points and in particular think of teams like everton like crazy you know, uh, results in terms of, you know, Everton, a team that I would normally think would have a big boost from their home for, you know, their home crowd, very intense crowd, close to the pitch, very loud, would normally have a big impact and you'd expect their home form to be good. Last year, I think it was really bad and their away form was what was doing it for them. So quite clearly, the the, the fact that we had no no crowd due to COVID was definitely a big impact. So am I looking to change that? I mean, I guess I am. I guess over the last year, I've really been looking, when I look at the ticker, I just look at the teams. I don't even look at whether it's home and away. Just go, okay, that, that they look good teams. I'll try and bring players in from for that run. I guess now we'll be going back to what we used to do, where you're going, oh, okay, that, that team's got three of the next four at home. And even though one or two of them might be slightly tricky, 
that home form is clearly a big advantage. I mean, I think under normal st- circumstances, I think if you have two evenly matched teams, the, the home team should normally win about 50% of the time. So it is clearly a big statistical advantage. So, yeah, I guess I will start to think of that again. But, yeah, it's quite, it's quite hard to, to reset, though, isn't it, after quite a long spell of doing things differently. Absolutely. So how much content do you absorb? What is your process during the week? Do you listen? I know you listen to our podcast. Are there any ones you listen to? And how do you filter out the noise with just so much content out there these days? Yeah, it, it definitely is difficult. I mean, I joined Twitter just over a year ago um, and started to really utilize the platform. And there's a lot of information. There's a lot of good information, but I guess there's also bad information. I try to, wherever I can, listen to two or three pods that I really can trust where I respect the people that do it. So obviously yourselves, I listen to black box. Uh, I listen to the double up pod. I like FPL Heisenberg as well, but there's a host of other ones. Net the hall is a new one that I, I enjoy, but generally probably three or four that I might try to listen to pretty regularly. And then there's a host of other ones that you can listen to because the content is very good. It's not like, uh, you know, if you if you just listen to these main ones, then that's it. There's a lot of good content out there. I think the hardest thing is scrolling through Twitter and not getting buried in all the information because you can easily get involved in a lot of threads, get really into the detail, and a lot of time goes by. And it's, it's pretty addictive, let's be honest. And also there's a problem of stats, right? Stats can really be suited for any narrative. Anything you want to build, you can always look at the sample size and narrative. So are you a stats guy, more of an eye test guy, a bit of both? Definitely a bit of both. Until one or two years ago, I had really two ways that I would analyze things. I would either watch the games myself, which obviously isn't always possible. And then the other thing I would do would be to go onto things like the fantasy football forums and I would just scroll down and I would absorb as much information as I could. I'd be listening to other people's opinions, their their possible teams, looking at fixture runs that they talked about, and literally doing it that way to just build up information. Now, I guess it's, you know, with, with Twitter, I, I, I definitely look at a lot of different content, but I look a lot more at the stats, in particular where I can't watch games. So if I can watch, you know, a live game, I think the eye test is probably best. But given that these days, I don't know, if I think back last season, I probably watched like a third of the games. So realistically, it's not possible to to really know what's going on in, in, in every game. So I would use the, the stats to try to help me to do that. So I'd be looking at things like XG, XA. I'd be looking at a whole wealth of stats sometimes, looking at penalty box touches, shots, big chances, things like that. But if if you if you haven't got much time, then I would think that just looking at, X goal involvement is a pretty good stat to, to go on. And while I appreciate it, not it may not be perfect. I appreciate there are different models that look at you know look at the whole thing in a, in a slightly different way. I think it gives you a good uh, viewpoint that you basically wouldn't have otherwise. And like I say, you just can't watch every game. So and so I like to try wherever possible. I like to do both. You know, I'd like to look at the stats and then have a a look at the game and see, do I feel that that player looks like he's got confidence, he's doing the things that the stats suggest? 
but generally he should be because it's quite unlikely that the, the two things are, are that far apart. Yeah, I like it because you need to be comprehensive, right? Players could be taking shots which get blocked, taking speculative shots. Yeah. I think you need to look at the quality. I think you look at the quantity by the stats and then you look at the quality in the eye test. Yeah. I think that sort of balances. Do you use any of these algorithms? I know there are a lot of new ones that have come out. There's the FFS RMT, there's FPL Review, there's Fix. A lot of guys now do these machine learning concepts. Do you like that mm. stuff? Never used to be into it at all. Didn't even know what these things were doing. Last season, I started to get a little bit into it. So yes, I look at FPL Review. I look at FPL Optimize, which is run by a guy who's very, very bright and does some great stuff. So uh, damn, yeah, he's a great guy. Exa- exactly. He, he's, uh, there was a point a few months ago where he seemed to be bringing out a new feature almost every day. I mean, I don't know how he does it, but some of the, the things you can analyze are really interesting and really useful, I think. And yeah, FPL review, it, it's interesting. Again, if you if you don't have time to watch the games, if you if you feel you, you want a bit of extra information, it's obviously it's it's a it's another way of looking at things. So you know you get to the kind of expected points. And look, I I appreciate there's a there's a there's going to be a subjective element in there. You know, at the end of the day, those algorithms are looking at you know what what the expected points per minute is, and then what the expected minutes that that player is going to play, and then probably applying a fixture difficulty rating to that as well. So you've got kind of three things, and all of those are relatively subjective. I mean, people maybe would argue that they're not, but some of those it feels to me would be. And so. Yeah, I feel that sometimes if you know that a player was injured and you know for sure that he's going to be playing and another player's injured and so therefore he's playing 90 minutes and maybe the algorithm hasn't updated because, you know, you've literally just got that information. So I think you can sometimes uh, factor in more information from other sources. But as a general concept, I think it's pretty solid in giving you a good kind of grounding of, uh, yeah, what roughly you would expect from certain players over a certain period of time. Right. Tom, think- take me through the process of uh, all of this. Let's say a game week commences on a Friday night nowadays, and I'm assuming you must have seen maybe one or two games by Sunday evening, uh, probably caught the, caught the highlights. Mm. How does the process, how does the decision-making happen? What, for the next week? For the next week. So are you first watching the highlights and then diving into the stats? What's the... I will I will probably be watching the games while tinkering with my team, getting excited about possibilities just as uh, as things change. Obviously, I try to never actually do transfers at that point, but it's it's kind of good fun to just tinker with your team. I mean, I'll, I'll set up my team for next week as a you know in the first place, just in case I get run over, and um, and then I guess yeah, at the start of the season I'll approach things very differently to at the end of the season. So at the start of the season, obviously you've got a lot of active players, eight or nine million players. So you're going to get the price rises and price drops. They're, they're much more extreme and it's much more important to be aware of what's going on. And I, that's how I play anyway, in terms of trying to build value and avoid value destruction. So I will try to, I'll keep an eye basically on what the different websites say who's going to go up, who's going to go down. And I'll start to think about whether I want certain players, if I need to swap a certain player to make something work. So maybe I'm looking at doing two or three transfers. Obviously, sometimes that's manageable. You can hold off depending on what the situation is. Sometimes you need to to very quickly act. And so I'll be looking at these things. And I guess there's a whole host of decisions that you make at the start of the season 
that you don't really think about and you don't really see, but you're making all the time every night almost to just decide whether you want to move on certain players or you don't. And I guess as far as I can, I'll try and hold off to later in the week to hopefully where there are no more games and you hopefully get the press conferences at the end of the week. And in the in the meantime, I'll try and look at some stats, listen to some pods, try and hear some viewpoints of other people that might have uh, watched the game a lot more in depth than I have for different games. Because, you know, highlights aren't always the best. If, you know, you might see certain games for literally five minutes, you're really not going to get that much insight sometimes on, on certain teams and players. So I'll try and gather that information and then towards the end of the week, if you can reach the press conferences on that, you know, the day before the games, then that is definitely useful. Uh, and and try to hold off on the on the you know on the transfers as long as possible unless you really have to move because it's a necessity. What what I'm understanding here, sorry Zoff, I just want no to problem. ask him the question. So basically what I'm understanding is as soon as the game refreshes, you're set your team up for the next week. So you're already thinking yeah. about the moves that you're gonna make. And I'm guessing yeah. let's say let's say on a Sunday night a player is going to rise and you're interested in that player. You will have consumed the data and looked at the stats before making that move on a Sunday night? Sometimes, probably not. I mean, that sounds way too simplistic. And uh, I think sometimes, but I will, if I know that there's a particular player that I'm now interested in, I will try to research that player as quickly as possible. Obviously, and, and obviously, if the fact, if, if, the, if the different sites show that he's going up quite soon, it means I need to start thinking about that diving into the data, listening to people's opinions, trying to look at the highlights and trying to focus on that player sooner. So hopefully that's not the case and hopefully he's not rising on the Sunday. And to be frank, in some cases, if that is happening, you just have to let the player go because it feels time before the next game week to be making the moves. But I'm not going to lie, I've probably done it over the years. Uh, I've probably made some really silly moves. But yeah, generally now I will try to hold off at least in the middle of the next week and where they, they definitely haven't got another game. You minimise the chance they're going to get an injury during the week. All these things can happen. Obviously, we've got COVID still. Who knows if it's gone away for good? So there's there's a whole load of different things that can go wrong. And so trying to get closer to the end of the week is definitely preferable. And I know that with COVID, I know a lot of people are waiting right till the last minute. I am so ingrained in this whole building the value thing. At the start of the season, there was a couple of cases where I made hits to bring players in. So I was so into that, into that process and used to that, that I probably didn't adapt quickly enough to the reality. And did I get burnt? Probably a couple of times. But generally, as long as you've got kind of a at least a decent bench, like at least one player who's decent on your bench, then I think you can get away with that sometimes. Um, and yeah, but there's no exact science. As I say, earlier in the season, I'll act very differently to later in the season. So since you're talking about buying players and there's so much noise around there, there's so much hype, how do you distinguish between a bandwagon and a form pick? Something I struggle with is to identify form versus just like you know a bandwagon a flash in the pan how do you hop on and hop off at the right time because i'm sure that has been key to moving up the ranks for you you're obviously getting on these players before they're becoming 80 60 70 percent template yeah i'm not sure i always do if i'm really honest if i look back at last season lingard is a really typical example 
I literally bought Lingard when he, his run stopped, which was pretty much just because Rafinha got injured. And I think of the other ones, you know, I, I think there was maybe a little bit of a bandwagon on Rafinha. Gundogan, obviously. I got on him halfway through. It, it helped with what happened with De Bruyne and there was an injury there. So it kind of made sense a little bit more. But I wouldn't say I'm always the best. I think it's a really hard thing, like you say, to, to identify, you know, whether it is the real deal. And sometimes I think it's just down to luck to, to some extent. You know, some players will, you know, you could get on... 10 bandwagons and just like two of them go on for 10 weeks and the other eight may go on for two weeks and knowing which is which is really difficult. Um, but I would say looking at something like Lingard in hindsight, you know, I know that some of you guys got on him, I think a bit earlier and I think you could kind of see the confidence that he had. And sometimes that's a big thing. You know, confidence is definitely really important when it comes to football, especially with attackers and you could see how much he was enjoying his football. You could see how, you know, he was kind of refreshed the fact that he was no longer held back at a club where he didn't play. He was given this freedom. You could visibly see that. And I guess if you see a player that is looking like that, I'd say even if it is a bit of a bandwagon, just stay in there until it kind of stops because it's amazing how long that can go on for. I mean, I would not have believed that Lingard's run would last as long as it did. He got an enormous amount of points. I think something like over 100 points in the in the second half of the season. I mean, it was a, a pretty amazing run. But at the start of that, I honestly would not have been able to forecast that. It's interesting that you mentioned, you know, that uh, you were late on Lingard and you were late on Gundogan and you missed Son's points in the first three or four weeks. And yep. that sort of built a narrative in my head that, you know, you didn't get onto a lot of these tricky things and still you were so consistent and managed to have a good finish through the season. And what stuck out is, I mean, I think the key move was getting those two City defenders in game week 10, which yeah. set up a good pace for your team week on week. So you don't always need to get onto the right bandwagons if you're just doing the consistent things, right? Speaking yeah, of bandwagons... And I, I think I made a couple of good moves. I, I wildcarded early when my team was terrible. I had Delhi Alley, I had Havertz, I had Werner. I had a whole load of unknowns. It wasn't particularly good. I'd wildcarded on game week three, got Bruno in, got Calvert-Lewin in, who I thought I'm going to need probably for the long term. And then even though that wasn't perfect, that started to move me up. And then around game week 10, I, I think I'd got a midfield that was KDB, Salah, Bruno, Grealish and Son. And, that, and then Bamford and Calvert-Lewin up front and then two like City defenders at the back. And that team felt like I was ahead of the game. I was almost like, you know, it would be hard for anyone else to get that team, given the value that I'd created doing that early wildcard. And I felt that they were good players. They were going to get good points. I could almost just leave that then. And I was really happy with that team. And to be frank, I really wish COVID hadn't happened. I really wish we didn't have the international break because I would have gone on a lot longer, probably getting more points. But you have to be able to adapt to what happens. And at the end of the day, a lot of different stuff happened after that point. Yeah, I remember seeing that team when you had it. And I remember trying to see, and I was almost one and a half, two million short affording all of those players at that time. So I see what you totally mean about building value in the first half of the season. What's your take on EO? We all You must use live FPL like the rest of us. Like a large, yeah. I'm, I'm still trying to understand how you hit these ranks because I got to about 15K and the problem is once I hit around the 10K, it's very, the ranks are so congested and the template is so strong. 
you have to identify. So you have to have a couple of differentials, at least in your team, right? You can't just be 80, 90% template and still be moving in the, that'll get you to about the 40, 50K mark I've noticed, but getting into those last 1K, 2K spots, that's where the differentials come in. How do you manage those? Well, EO, in terms of EO, I try to ignore it. I'm not going to say that I'm not influenced by it because that would probably be untrue. The reality is we're, we're very aware that when certain premiums play certain teams, what the EO is going to be. I guess it's the weeks where two premiums have good games or none of the premiums have good games that you can really try to get the right captaincy. And I think from my captaincy score, it looks like generally I did a pretty good job of picking the right differential captains on those weeks. And I think that was really important and probably clawed back a lot of points that I may have lost in other areas. Other things, I mean, it's it's really it's really hard to say, to be honest. Yeah, you know, I, I, it's hard to put your finger on exactly what I did. I, for sure, I didn't take many hits. I think a lot of other people probably did. How many uh, hits? I, I, That's three seasons think, on average. I think last season was like nine. I think the seasons before would have been about six. Okay. So fairly low. I mean, not, you know, there are people out there who do, you know, none, two, three, not as good as that. But like I say, I do take the odd hit at the start of the season when I'm trying to build value. Uh, and and I guess if you have like a double and you know that you can make the points back or something, then I guess there's a, a justification there as well but outside of that i really try to be quite cautious and i know that that's not the way that a lot of people want to play and it's pretty dull and i know equally it doesn't always work like that you could take a punt on things and if you get it right you can be 10 20 points up equally there's a lot of situations where you're trying to justify it by saying that i'm doing this for the long term it's going to make my team better for three or four five weeks in a row and actually it doesn't it's very hard to analyze that and go, actually, I made a mistake there. So I try to minimize it where I can with the realization that that isn't, you know, a diehard rule. That's interesting. Tell me, when you're looking at the fixture ticker, how far are you planning? Are you looking at for the next six, next eight, next three? No exact science. I'd say definitely not the next three. That feels too two fewer games i think if you start planning three games and then you it, it depends on your build of your team as well if you've got a very balanced team if you've got 10 10 players that are you know you're not looking to move around and you're only looking to move around four or five players based on fixtures you can obviously do it more frequently without hits if you have less players that are you know the core of your team and you're looking to move more players around then i guess you're either going to have to do hits or you're going to have to look at a longer time horizon. So I, I would say probably six weeks as a, as a minimum. But I, I will look for for blocks. If a team's got eight good fixtures in a row, I'll look at that block and try to to target those. I mean, obviously it's quite unlikely, but I guess Liverpool at the start of this season. I mean, how many have they got? I'm looking at the season ticker now, and I can see five out of the first six are great. But I think they've even got some, you know, some ones after that. Yeah, look at them. They're, they're two, two out of the first eight are, are hard, basically. The rest are, are pretty good. So, I, I mean, you know, if you can try and identify good blocks, five five or six games, then that's going to put you in really good stead to, to identify players to target. 
And you mentioned you looked at the fixtures, uh, sorry, you looked at the stats and you primarily look at expected data, XGI. When you're looking back at the stats, what kind of a uh, sample size are you comfortable with analyzing? Let's say we're 10 game weeks into the season. Yeah, so it, it's a hard thing, obviously, isn't it? Because one or two games can be complete luck. Equally, you're often not in the position to have a whole season of data. And in particular, the problem is things change at clubs and with players so often. You know, a player could have certain data, but then he's changed positions. He was a, a fullback, now he's a wingback. Now he's on set pieces, before he wasn't. You know, those changes mean that the data doesn't tell you that. You don't know the reasons why. So you just, oh, the player's suddenly really good when actually now he's been played at fullback again. So you miss that point. So, you know, there's a huge caveat when it comes to looking at the stats. You really have to think about what's going on with the player, with the team, and try to think of it all together. Just looking at the stats doesn't tell you the big picture. doesn't tell you everything. So, I, I, yeah, definitely I would try to look at longer sample sizes, but obviously we know at the start of the season, what can you do? You, you basically have the prior year's data and then your fixtures. And, and they're really the two things that you can use. And obviously your knowledge of what's happening with that team, you know, is the team playing, has the, has the team got good fixtures? Is the team playing well? Is the player playing in the same position as before? Are there any injuries to other positions? You know, there's a huge amount of factors that, that would influence that. I think so. I think that what you're basically saying is the context of the player role is very important when you're looking at the stats. Simple yeah. as that. Yeah, true. Speaking of stats, uh, Thomas, this is something you have to help me out with. And this is uh, something I've really struggled with the right last three, four years. And I see your playing style is very similar to mine. So tell me, how do you manage Pep Roulette? Oh, I don't like it. I So last season, as I said, I, I, I picked De Bruyne and Cancelo and Diaz. Cancelo was probably the least number of games because obviously there was some roulette still there. Diaz, it was kind of obvious fairly soon that he was the mainstay and the core person that Pep wanted to be in his defence. So I felt I'm much more comfortable paying 5.5 million for a player who was just, you know, going to be there playing 90 minutes every week, not, not going to get you many attacking returns, but you know what you get with the clean sheets. He's going to get the odd bonus point as well. And that was kind of enough. I think he ended the season, I think it was 142 points, something like that, which, you know, is okay. Yeah, 142. 5.5, that was good. He's 6 million now. 142, is that enough? I, I, I don't know. I, I just love that you thing. know off the top of your head that Diaz scored 142 points last season. I think that's just absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, and, and Cancelo, 138 similar type thing but obviously Cancelo's minutes were far reduced he's at a price rise as well I'd be more concerned with Cancelo now Zinchenko I think is a is a bigger possibility to play it at left back and so is he going to share time with Zinchenko on one side and Walker on the other doesn't make me feel particularly comfortable and then as, as for the attacking players oh I mean it's a very difficult thing isn't it I mean I love Foden I think he's brilliant Mares is always looking good. Sterling, when he plays, you you, you think he's gonna, you know, he's gonna get points, but it's very hard to, to 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 go for them. And I do generally try to avoid those players. 
I hate having players where you, you're waiting for the team sheet and then they're not in it. There's nothing worse when you're paying. Like, if it, it's okay if it's a defender and it's five point five million. It's another thing if you're there with a Mares this season, nine point five million. I mean, I, I don't think I can be sitting there waiting to see is he is he playing or is he not. It just yeah, it grates me somewhat. So <laughs> yeah. it's it's a it's a difficult thing, and I I definitely try to avoid it. Although I appreciate why. Some people like Pranil maybe would go for yeah, that's a few a more adventurous picks. That's a special. <laughs> we were lucky last season. I think last season the lineups were a little bit settled and City weren't blowing teams away. 5-0, yeah. 6-0. Like, so I remember that yeah. period, especially after the restart where Sterling was just hitting hat-tricks every other game. And I was still yeah. avoiding Man City players at that point of the roulette and it was really, really painful at times. Yeah, I, I I was listening to Tom here right now, and he was talking about how painful it is. And that statement that he said, where you don't like having players uh, and w- worrying about the team sheet. And I remember you telling me that at least five thousand times. I can't see Zofar on the screen right now, but I get I get just imagine him nodding like yes, yes, you're speaking to my heart right now, Tom. Absolutely, totally, yeah. absolutely, yeah. And, and and look, it's not just Man City, is it? You know, we we see that with Chelsea now, Liverpool. I'm not so bad at it. I guess now with Jota, Firmino, Mane, Salah, which three is he going to play? Is he going to play four? I doubt he plays four very often. Maybe against some of the really you know poorer teams in the league, he really goes for it in those games. But generally, someone's going to miss out. And again, I love you look at the stats for Jota. You know the the, the points per minute for Jota are, are fantastic. But again. You just don't know, do you? It's uh, he's probably going to rotate with Firmino. Let's be let's be honest here, and there's just nothing worse than having your player not play. All right, uh, I tend to fall into. I mean, last season I fell into a lot of traps. Timo Werner being one. Any particular advice you have to FPL managers for traps to watch out for when they're playing the game? You, some of the mistakes you see managers making. I mean, yeah, I guess there could be quite a few, but definitely at the start of the season, going for players that are unproven is is something I'm trying to personally avoid. And I, I haven't always been so good at this, as you can tell from my early wildcard last year, but definitely trying to stay away from the championship players. And, and it's not always possible. You're probably going to have the odd one or two. Generally, they're the cheaper players in the game. So it's understandable, but... I think you don't really want a squad with four or five of those unknown players. And yeah, that's I think that's probably the biggest thing. I feel bad for our listeners right now because the pod we had previous to this one was where we had Luke, FPL Arons, talking up and digging up all those championship players. And a lot of our listeners had two or three of those promoted team players in our draft. And now Tom here is telling us, you know, try going with known quantities. So I think I, I just feel bad for our listeners. But, but I think that's okay because I think you've just got to get a balance that you feel comfortable with. If you, you know, if you pick two or three of them, might be okay. I think if you've got five of them, I, I, I think, you know, that a lot can go wrong. Some of them will not shine as much as you think they will. Some of them may not get the minutes that you think they will, but that can be true for other players as well. So there's no, there's no definite rule with these things. So let's bring up your watch list, Tom. Let's now start talking specific to this season. I'm just going to bring your watch list up on screen. And let's start going through them position by position. Are you pretty set on your goalkeeper? You've highlighted Sanchez in the sheet you sent us. I think so. He seems like he's underpriced for a Brighton defence that should be pretty good. Obviously, White going to Arsenal might have an impact. But I think generally they play 
a pretty consistent system. I don't see it changing too much. So I think I think he's good value at 4.5. Little bit concerned about the number of saves he'll make because at the end of the day, as we kind of know with the goalkeepers, you don't always have to pick players from the big teams. They might get more clean sheets, but the teams uh, further down the league will get more save points. So that they often offset somewhat and it ends up being quite a small gap between the different goalkeepers. Obviously, last year was a bit of an exception. Martinez is on my list, really, because he was so amazing last year. 5.5, he's a, it's a big rise now. I mean, do I think he's going to get like 185 or whatever he got last year again? I, I, probably not. If he got 150, 160, you'd still be thinking that was a good total. But I think Sanchez will get 140, uh, a million less. So I, I think Sanchez is a good one. But Backman comes into play as well because I think they look the more de- defensive. Watford look more, more defensive of the three promoted teams. He'll probably get a, a quite a few save points. So... He'll probably be decent. I don't think, yeah, if you went for him, I wouldn't be too worried about that. Meslier, another quite good one. A little bit more expensive than Sanchez, but will Leeds be as tight as they were in the second half of last season? I'm not sure. It's hard hard to know. But yeah, definitely at five. I think he's reasonable because he does make a lot of, of, of saves. So I, I'm pretty set on Sanchez, but I can appreciate that there are other possibilities here. And, and definitely the, the actual best goalkeepers, the ones who I think will get the most points, I think will be like Pope and Martinez. But at the end of the day, I don't believe there's a million difference between, say, a Sanchez and a Martinez. Are you set and forget guy with your goalkeepers or do you like to do this home away rotation with two 4.5s a lot of uh, people do? Absolutely not. I have done that in the past over many years and it is extremely painful and I don't think it works. The problem with the goalkeepers is often some of their really big points that they get in a game week can be when they play a really hard team because if they go, you know, I don't know, like you're the Watford goalie, if they go away to Man U and they get a clean sheet, he's going to get like 11 points or something. He's going to get the clean sheet, he's going to get the bonus, he's going to get loads of save points. So suddenly you're missing out on a goalkeeper that gets 11 points because you they were away at Man U. And while I appreciate it doesn't happen that often, it happens enough that I just think if you rotate them, you can easily just keep getting the dull scores where you might get the odd clean sheet, but that's not enough. And you're missing out on these big totals. So, and equally, you have to remember you're paying more money to do that. So if you're paying 9 million, 9.5 million, et cetera, I don't think that's necessary. I think you can get pretty much the same total by paying 8.5 million, 9 million. Yeah, it happens yeah, pretty sp- often at Old Trafford, to be fair, right, Ada? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> some of the biggest goalkeeper hauls, especially with Burnley, happen at Old Trafford. Always happens. Yeah. Burnley's a bogey team. But you are speaking my language that I, I can't uh, reiterate this point more. Also, just one other thing in terms of it, it leaves one decision out because yeah. you have so much to think about week on week. It just leaves that one decision away in your head. That's all. I like that as well. Yeah, and the reality is, if the goalie gets injured, you replace him next game week. It's as simple as that. So. Yes, you lose out on it. It may only be like one or two points that week. Who knows? So I think that's it, it, it's an easy thing to do. All right. So let's move on to the defenders. You've got Robertson and TA at the top of your list. You've got a couple of West Ham guys. But I saw it. I found it interesting that you had the likes of Cancelo there. I think, like you know, like you said, he's a bit of a rotation risk. And Reese James. These are are these the sort of defenders you usually like to monitor? 
I like to keep them on the watch list because it's it's good to see what minutes they're getting and if they're becoming more established than maybe what you thought. So I like to keep an eye on them because I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm aware of the upside that someone like Cancelo or even a James can give you. Equally, Chilwell. I mean, I'd hope he's rotated slightly less with Alonso, but who knows? And yeah, definitely these sorts of players, they're playing for good teams that are defensive or at least have a good defence. And they're likely to go forward and get the odd attacking return as well. So if they were playing a decent number of minutes, they would definitely be getting quite high amount of points. So I have them on the watch list just to see what's going on and keep an eye on them. Just to be clear, Tom, by watch list, you mean actually the watch list function on the FPL website. Yeah. You add them to the watch list. Yeah. Nice, because it's something General does as well. And while you're making your transfers, is that what you use? You look at the watch list only, looking at the numbers, etc.? I a mixture. Quite often, I probably would look at them at the watch list, but yeah, sometimes I'll look at the main thing just to see if there are players that have suddenly got a load of points that I didn't even notice. You know, sometimes you someone unexpected, someone pops up, and you're like, oh, okay, how did he get that? It might only be he's on thirty points or something, and all your other defenders are on seventy. But still, if he's popped out of nowhere, then he, you might have a look and see what what's going on with him. But yeah, generally, I'll try to use the watch list quite often. And the problem is maxing it out. I generally have so many players in there that then I max it out and <laughs> have to take other ones out. So do you find that very interesting? I plan on using that this yeah. season. So to, I'm curious, do you usually rotate your defenders? Again, what we were talking about in terms of goalkeepers, a lot of people like to have two rotating pairs of 4.5s, players that play according to fixtures. People like me, what I prefer through the years, I just like to pick three players usually from these premium defences, like your Man City, Liverpool, Man United, and stick them in for a period of 15, 20 weeks, irrespective of fixtures. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I might be more in that way of thinking this season, but... I think it depends on the prices and you know who's what's going on with each player when I when I assess assess the players. I mean, yeah, definitely I don't I wouldn't say I leave them in for that length of time. I do like to look at runs and try to bring defenders in for different you know, five or six game runs. So I think I looked back at my stats and actually compared to quite a lot of other people, I was I was moving my defenders around quite a lot. And that's not really because I'm necessarily rotating them. Like, I don't really like the 4.5 rotation thing. Again, I think you end up with missed points sometimes, and it's hard to predict necessarily who's going to get the points in which game. But I do like trying to identify fixture runs and saying, okay, this player, he's got eight games there. I can bring him in and 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 hopefully benefit from that and then i'll flip him to a different 5.5 as an example so if i was starting with luca dean and then i'm thinking okay james looks a bit more secure for chelsea and they've got a great run i'll bring him in so that's the kind of way i play it but i i, I really other than maybe someone like a trent i probably don't look to keep them in for 20 games trent and robertson i think are a bit different trent and robertson are so good in terms of offering both the defensive, hopefully the defensive points, obviously not last season so much with the problem with Van Dyke, but generally you could, they're a top team. They should offer good defensive points in terms of clean sheets, but obviously they have the attacking threat as well and they're secure. That's the difference compared to your Cancelos and your, you know, 
your Jameses and your Chilwells, etc. You know they're going to play. So those two are a bit different for me. And I, I, I guess I would be happy to build my team somewhat around those because you can, you know, what's the average for Trent over a season? Probably about 200, 195, something like that over the last three years. Robertson, probably about 180, 185. It's pretty high given the price. And at the end of the day, I'm, they're not premiums. I'm never going to captain them, but they're there in terms of value. If I'm comparing against, say, some of these 7.5 forwards, or even some of the 7.5 midfielders, I feel more, uh, I have more certainty with those two than I would probably some of the other players that we have on this watch list. Just uh, for the benefit of the listeners, I'm just going to read out your watch list. And there's a little bit of an error at the bottom also. Uh, so this is his watch list. He's got Robbo, Trent, Cresswell, Ruben Diaz, Chilwell, Cancelo, Dunk, Stones, Sufal, Shaw, Tinia. James, and at the bottom five, the names that are repeating, actually, the list is Ailing, Tierney, Regurion, Fofana, and Lamptey. So, yeah. Any of these names that, uh, some of the dark horse names that you have a strong and you think could do well? I I, I found it quite interesting that you had uh, uh, the Spurs defender in there. You think Nuno's going to sort that defense out, or he's just in there for the watch list? In there for the watch list. See what happens. Are they going to play a five in which case, are we going to see, you know, Regulon move further forward? Maybe, I, I don't know, is he going to go back to Doherty? <laughs> maybe. He, he was good before for him, so maybe he goes back to him on the other side. Uh, but, yeah, at, at that price, if they were attacking like he had his, his, his fullbacks do for, for Wolves, then it's an option. It's a little bit expensive for me, if I'm honest. If they were like at 4.5, I'd be a bit more interested, but at 5 feels a bit expensive but yeah really just for the watch list because i have no idea how he's going to shape his team got it that's interesting sorry about that i think i managed to delete a few names of this list while i was editing the file all the 4.5 defenders got deleted we just repeat them again lr just for sake of our listeners again okay i'll just repeat them very quickly i have the excel in front of me ailing tierney regulion fofana and lamptey I think Ailing, Lamptey and Fofana are very popular amongst the 4.5 defenders especially. Yeah, and out, out of those, Lamptey is my favourite by quite a long way. I have to say, it doesn't matter what the price is. I, I like my defenders to still have some kind of attacking threat. And Fofana, while I appreciate he is quite good value, he just has no attacking threat at all. And I, yeah, he's going to get the old clean sheets, but it, it doesn't excite me in any way. I'd rather go with Lamptey. I mean, he's ex-lively. So just <laughs> just really hope that that turns into, into some goals and assists. So, I mean, obviously there's a lot of open questions with him. Is he going to be back from his injury? Is he going to be playing in the same way? Is he going to get enough minutes? We don't know for sure. Uh, it, it's It's a difficult thing at the start of the season, but... Yeah, if there's any indication that he's looking good, then I, I would favour him above the other 4.5s. And and the highlighted ones are the ones where I, I feel I'm most likely to put in my team, I guess. So, sure. I mean, I don't think we need to say too much about him. The stats from last year were superb. I know his total wasn't actually that big. I mean, what did he get in the end? 124 points. Surprisingly low. He only played 2,600 minutes probably plays a bit more this time. Obviously, there's concerns if he's had a rib injury uh, during the Euros. 
is he going to be back for game week one? I'll have to monitor that. But if he looks like he's back, then, uh, yeah, I like him a lot. Right. Should we move on to the mids now? I think you've got Fernandez and Salah as your must-have picks. I don't think we really need to talk much about them. But what price would interest you for Sancho if he comes in and convince you to go for him over Bruno? I'm not sure. I think he's going to be fairly expensive. And I've seen people talking about 10, 10.5. I'm not sure how appealing I that is compared to a proven asset like Bruno. I mean, I appreciate the, the, the lad's good. And he was great in Germany, but we've seen that before. So, you know, I would probably want to see how he fitted in. See, you know, one, where was he playing exactly? How does he work with the other Man U players? They've got quite decent players up front, but I don't know how that's, that balance is going to work. And, and, and equally with Bruno, I've got him, but that's an easy swap to De Bruyne or somebody else, probably De Bruyne, let's be honest. So... I have him. I appreciate that if you take away the penalties, it's not so great. His stats are not that brilliant if you take those away. I mean, I think last year he had 10 penalties and scored nine. I mean, is he going to get 10 penalties again? Obviously, changing the rules, got quite a few penalties early on, given the you know the rules as, as they were at the time. I, I'm not sure if he's going to get 10 penalties. So I, I feel like he, his, his score could be a bit lower this year. I guess having Sancho in the team, that might benefit him. Better players around him may get into the box a bit more. But yeah, be interested to see the lineup. But Manu have got good fixtures early on. I'm willing to just go for him. De Bruyne, we don't know if he's back from injury. I, I think I'll probably go that way. And then I think Man City has some really good fixtures around game week eight or so, eight, eight, eight to 11 or something. So that may, may be the time to move. And, uh, you know, I'm already kind of thinking about things, wildcard time, maybe game week seven, Chelsea, Man City, great fixtures. Could uh, be a uh, good 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 way to play it. Outside of Rafinha in the budget brackets, who do you like? A couple of midfielders you fancy. Uh, Havertz is interesting. A little bit expensive. Like to see the minutes. Buendia, I like. 6.5 obviously looked decent in the premiership before and has moved from a team that would struggle to a team that I think will be mid-table and that on its day looks very good. SARS interesting given what I heard from your, your guest uh, last week. So I'm not sure about him. I think he may be on penalties. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. They seem a bit more defensive. So that puts me off a little bit. Outside of that... Gundogan's always a decent player, but I don't know. Again, the formation, you know, where De Bruyne's playing, etc., has a big impact on that. And and I guess Grealish, I love, but eight seems quite expensive now. If you have a Buendia at six point five, I'd be interested to know where the set pieces go in that team. If Buendia has the set pieces and is played in a similar role to Grealish, even if he's not as good as Grealish. 1.5 million cheaper then I think that seems like good value are you prepared to like, what's your thinking when you see a fixture like City against Norwich pop up in game week 2 it's like you know one good fixture in the C of C to 4 are you prepared to just ignore that and just go ahead look to captain somebody else probably I don't think you can move around that much but it's it's worth thinking about whether you bring in a Man City player but like we've already said I mean which Man City player 
I, I could probably bring in some of their centre backs, but I don't think that's what we want. So <laughs> I don't I don't think Diaz is gonna, you know, smash it against Norwich. So that's the problem. I, you know, if De Bruyne's back, I guess he would be the obvious one. But you know, Foden, Mares, I mean, I, I, yeah, they're great, but who's gonna play? Torres is on the on, you know, in, in everyone's thoughts as well. He's seven, he's not even on the list. He played a decent, I mean, not decent, 1,200 minutes or something last year, but he's another cog in the wheel. You don't know what's going to happen with, with him. So that's just the problem. And so you could end up bringing a player in that doesn't even start the game, plays 30 minutes, and then loads of people want to sell in the next game. That's, that's sort of my fear with Tony as well, right? And that, now let's transition to the strikers. Who do you say right now would be your top three strikers on your watch list? I know you've got a bunch listed here, but who would you say are your top three? So I think Kane's too expensive, 12.5, 2 million more than last year. Seems a big jump, even if the guy's superb, goal machine. Obviously, if he goes to City, it changes everything. But outside of that, Bamford, a little bit concerned about Rod Rodrigo, is it? Yes. I mean, he could come in. He, he did well at the end of last season. You know, Bamford was getting taken off at 59 minutes. It's not great. Watkins, I like. Calvert-Lewin, I like. Woods, Solid, had him last season, got a 20-point haul. Uh, yeah, no, he's not for everybody, but... Uh, no, we yeah. love Chris Wood. I think you listen to our podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just for the jokes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, 7 million, fair price, fair price. Wilson, 7.5. I mean, you have to... There's a host of these players that were 6 or 6.5 million last year. So they've all gone up quite a bit. So it makes it fairly difficult. But if I'm going to pick three players, I'd pick Watkins for the early fixtures and because you know what you get with him. He's a very solid player. I'd pick Antonio because I absolutely love the guy. I think he's an absolute beast. He can just plough through defences. Very, very strong. Great player. Great stats. Obviously, you never know when his hamstring's going to go. It's, yeah, but you just have to be prepared that if you have him, you just you, you take him out at that point. Uh, so he is definitely one that I really like, and I think they've got good fixtures at the start as well. Iniacho, I like, a little bit unsure about they, they've brought in some good players, Leicester. That's the problem. They've got Madison coming back, they've got Barnes coming back, they've got this DACA guy. There's a whole host of good players they've got at the club, and I don't know. I, I kind of presume that in the end, Iniacho would replace Vardy as almost like a one up front. But in the meantime, are they going to play two up front? Or are you just going to get maybe two, but then Inacho gets taken off after 60 minutes, 70 minutes? It could be Vardy, given his age. But it's there's, there's a lot more unknowns there. So I don't think I'll start with Inacho, but good player. And, it, and he was on fire at the end of last season. So interesting one. Jimenez, you never know if he's going to come back from his injury really concerns me that his aerial threat was one of the, his biggest traits. And now obviously he's wearing that, that hat and, you know, you don't know how that's going to affect him mentally. Tony, I'd like to see him first. I, he, he scored an absolute packet full in the championship, but would, can he carry that on at a higher level? Hard to, hard to know, but Brentford sound like they'll be quite attacking. Added Pookie just for, well, he was there a few years ago. <laughs> Pookie party for a few a few game weeks, wasn't that at the start? But yeah, outside of that, Abraham would be good if he got a move. 6.5. If yep. he went to somebody reasonable, mid-table team, 6.5 would be very reasonable. 
So and and Calvert Lewin, Calvert Lewin, I've been I'm in an iron about. So I think he's got good fixtures. I just don't know how they're going to play, and I, I don't know what the impact of Richarlison being at the Olympics for the first few games is going to have on him. I mean, is that better because he's guaranteed to be the central striker, or is that worse because basically one of their best players is not in the team? So not sure. Obviously, some of their midfielders may go not play. So there's a bit of uncertainty around them at the moment. So I, yeah, he was one of the ones that I was very interested in and I've cooled my interest recently. Yeah, this is difficult with the new managers. I think this becomes very similar to the policy you have with new players, new transfers with new managers. It might be initially better to wait and see how they bed in. So let's actually now switch into your draft. This is not a team reveal, by the way. This is just a draft Thomas sent us with his initial thoughts on the players he have together. And I'm just going to read this out. And after that, we before, will... Before, go before, ahead. before we do that, I just want to touch on the strikers. Oh, sure. what, what's your thinking about... I just wanted to talk about Oba at 10 million. And um, um, Are you interested at all, given Arsenal are not playing any European football this season? Mm, I find it difficult to know where he's going to play, to be honest. Is he going to play on the wing? Is he going to play up front? Lacazette's still there. Are they going to buy another forward? Obviously, you've got some other interesting players that are hanging around. Some of the youngsters are really good. Smith Rowe, Saka. I, I just think there's too many unknowns. If it ends yeah. up with him, the main man, every week, 90 minutes, then yes, I guess he's decent. 10 million is a lot, though, for, for, yeah. for, that, for that uncertainty and compared to some of the other... He's the cheapest players. he's been in this game, in his tenure in FPL, though. Like yeah. Before last season, he's been a 20-goal-a-season 20, 20 striker. There's just something to think about. Right? I think Arsenal are going to be the surprise package this season because I think they they were having issues dealing with Europe last season. Mm. And I don't think they're going to have Europe this season. And it's it's going to be a starting eleven, I reckon. And I think that's going to make a big difference in terms of how Arsenal plays. So I, I, it's just in my head the team to watch out for this season, I reckon. Yeah, yeah it'd be nice just to see how they set up though, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Always uh, traditionally given us good FPL options as well. So it, I'll be yeah. hoping that Arsenal will come back. Yeah, the mixed fixtures to start with. They have Brentford, which is a good fixture, obviously. And then Chelsea, Man City in two and three. And then Norwich in four with Burnley yeah. and Spurs. So I think game t- first three weeks, you could probably monitor them. And then gaming four is a good time to jump on, if at all. Yeah, I think that's probably what I'm going to do, right? So let's talk through Tom's team. He's got in goal Sanchez. It's a 4-4-2 system with Dean, Shaw and the Liverpool fullback double-ups. I'm not surprised after the reasons you mentioned. I'm quite convinced on that myself now. Rafinha in midfield, that is. Rafinha, Fernandes, Salah, Buendia and Brownhill. And up front, he's got Watkins and Antonio. On the bench is Foster, Lamptey, Brownhill and the legend, that is Keenan Davis. I'm glad to see that you're a fan, Tom. So... Let's start. I think we'll skip the goalkeepers. We'll just skip to your defence. I think we've spoken about Shaw and the fullbacks at length. Tell me you're thinking about Dean. How convinced are you on him? I was really convinced. I think he's underpriced. Obviously, last year, I think he was 6, went up to 6.1, 6.2. I think we know what we get with him. I think he obviously is usually on a lot of set pieces, but I'd be really intrigued to see how they set up. If he is in a wing-back position... And in particular, if maybe Rodriguez goes and he's going to be on all the set pieces, I think his appeal goes up quite a lot. If he's just playing as a bog standard fullback and maybe on less set pieces, then maybe he's not as undervalued as I initially thought. But uh, one to keep an eye on. He's in the team at the moment, but 
not completely sure. What would you be Have looking you to see? So, sorry, Ella, I'm just, what would you be looking to see in pre-season to give you that? Would we be looking at how far forward he's getting? What would be the indicators you're looking to tilt your decision either way? I'm hoping he's either on quite a lot of set pieces or he's he's getting forwards and getting crosses in for people like Calvert-Lewin. So that you, you feel, I mean, he got nine assists last year. Good, good total. I don't think he started particularly well. So I think he was better in the second half of the season. But he, he's a player, actually, that has potential to get a few goals as well. I think he was maybe a, a little bit unlucky, takes some free kicks. So I think he has the potential to get maybe in the area of, a, you know, kind of Robertson of a, like 180, 170 points if things go well for him. But I think it does depend on how he's been played. So if he's bombing forward down that flank, he's, he's obviously very effective. But if he's asked to defend a bit more, then I'm, I'm definitely less interested. Ella? Have you played four at the back before, Tom? Usually, my favourite formation is 3-5-2. Um, I also appreciate a lot of people like 3-4-3. Three, three. It just really fits the personnel at this point and seems a little bit a little bit less risky than some of the other options. And look, I'm not by any means absolutely convinced by this. And I'm still thinking of those other formations. There are still other players and there are obvious benefits of playing the other formations. One being with this formation and having the dud up front, you have Davis, who's going to get you a one-pointer at best. Obviously, if you play a third forward, you're more likely to then have another 4.5 at the back, who is, you know, there's obviously a lot more choice there of players that you know are going to play and that maybe, you know, have the possibility of getting you a clean sheet that game. So yeah, I think the, you'd, the, you'd worry about that having two yeah. 4.5 million yeah. outfielders. That would be the prime worry with this formation. Yeah, yeah. Lamberty is. A, I think he's a good option. Brownhill is a two-pointer. I know he scored a couple of goals against. I don't know who it was, but scored a couple of goals in midweek. But I, I don't think you can read too much into that. He's a two-pointer really. And then the third one is. Yeah, I don't think you can put too much on him at all. So definitely, that's a you know a drawback with this formation. I think it's fine for the early weeks, right? When you don't see as much rotation, you don't need your bench as much. No. I think that's fine. So I, I see Rafinha on your team, who's obviously a very popular option. Are you looking at him more as a long-term pick? Or do you, maybe as we've seen Leeds' initial fixtures, I'll just read them out here again. It's United away, Everton at home, Burnley away, and Liverpool at home. Not the best. So do you think he can deliver points or is just somebody you believe is a glue pick? You sit, You set and forget for a number of weeks. Yeah, well, you somewhat put me off from that uh, fixture list, but uh, yeah, I think if you, the concern here is that you get too many players where you've got a planned transfer. Exactly. So I've already got Wendia, I've already got Watkins. You could argue that you know Villa's fixtures are very good the first three, and then maybe you'd look to move them on to somebody else. In particular, Watkins, you'd feel a bit more happy about having longer term. Wendia, maybe you'd want to move on to someone else. If I go instead of Rafina with someone else who might be questionable, it becomes a bit too much and I'm a bit worried about the balance. So I guess that's why I have him in. And I do think he's the sort of player that can get returns against anyone. We've kind of seen that. I know his ceiling isn't that high. You know, I think he only got one double digit return last year, but he got, you know, a lot of solid returns and his average, you know, if you look at his points per minute, it's pretty good. So I think he's a solid pick and I think it's 6.5. He offers quite quite a decent amount of value. But I can appreciate why some people may, you know, want to start with somebody else who's maybe got better fixtures and then plan a transfer. 
but I think if just with my team, if I do that with too many, uh, I get a bit concerned. That was going to be my next question about Wendia and Watkins, because again, we'll just go back to the fixture mm. ticker for Villa. After the first three, they played Chelsea, Everton and United. Do you plan to keep one or two? What's your plan with those guys? So Watkins, obviously, there's a host of 7.5 options. So he can easily be moved on. And funny enough, he'd probably be the least, the one that I would least consider moving on just because I think he's very solid. You've got guaranteed minutes. I kind of feel okay, even if he had some fairly decent fixtures. I mean, think what he did to Liverpool last year. So, you know, that doesn't concern me so much, but there's obviously different options. I mean, I think Wolves have got great fixtures from game week four, but I said I'm a bit concerned about Jimenez. Is he going to be back? But at least we can see by then if he's looking okay. Maybe a move to Iniacho, maybe a move to somebody else. But there are other options. If Tony's setting the world alight, you can move down to Tony. So, that you know, there's a few options for him. Buendia is a, a little harder. So there are options, but... That is another concern I have with the structure. The price point there, I, if I decide or if, if someone like a Jota, someone like a Havertz really goes crazy at the start of the season, someone like a Foden looks like they've got guaranteed minutes, it's quite hard to get to that seven and a half, eight, eight and a half price bracket. So then I'm needing to find two million. I mean, I guess the natural move then would be to drop Robertson down and move to a different defender, go to three and and try to then upgrade. But it's not something you can do in one move. So that that is a, a another factor to consider, really. Right. Let's just move down up top. I noticed you liked Antonio. He's also on my initial list. Are you worried about the Europa League once that kicks lost off? I can hear you again now, Zoff. Sorry, great. I'll just repeat myself. So Antonio, I like him a lot also, but my concern with him is the Europa League. Once it kicks yep. in around game week four, I think they really yep. need to sign another striker. And in general, I worry about West Ham's ability to cope with, you know, a Thursday, Sunday schedule every week. So again, Antonio, is, is it someone you're looking to hold as long as his hamstrings last, pretty much? Antonio is definitely a concern for those reasons. You know, we've got his hamstring and his injury record and his, in fact, he gets often taken off after 75 minutes is one thing. With the Europa Cup, that's another thing. So it will be interesting to see if they add depth. I mean, I've, I've been seeing recently that maybe there's a rumour that Liverpool are interested in Bowen. Yes. But um, so that would be, you know, that's not the way they want to go. So are they going to bring a number of other players in? Does that then, would you be concerned about the minutes? Would that then mean that they might play two up front? I mean, hopefully they just bring someone in and they can play in the Europa Cup and then Antonio can concentrate on the league. That would be perfect. But until we see what happens, it's very hard to know how that will end up. But yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I just, I love the guy. I think he's got great stats, but there's there's always concerns with him, unfortunately. And and look, you could go easily to a more safe pick like a Wilson. And it may be the thing that I end up doing. But I just really love Antonio. I think he's, uh, he's brilliant. That's fair. Ella, anything to ask? No, I think we're good. I'm just given a full... Rundown on the team, great yeah. thoughts on all, all the players in the watch list. So I'm pretty good with what we've had. Yeah, the Liverpool fullbacks are really tempting me. What I'm just monitoring is the situation with Firmino. If Firmino returns late to preseason, I'm hoping Jota could get the first two to three games. And that creates a bit more of that flexible price point you're talking about. Having that one yeah. 7.5 mid 
rather than the 6.5. So I think that's something we all, I think what I've seen here, you're really looking to capitalize. I see like, you know, the, the Liverpool triple up. I think that's a fixture play. You've gone with the Villa double up, which is also obviously a fixture play. The United double up. So, so you're attacking the fixtures, I think, early on. You're not afraid yeah. of the double up, triple ups and stuff like that. So, so I can understand what you're doing here. Very cool. All right. Uh, so, any other questions, Zoff? Or I think, I think we yes. can wrap up now. I think it's, wrap up. it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, Tom. We'll definitely get you on again during the course of the season as well. For sure. For sure. And also, just before we end, I wanted to uh, give a shout out to the guys who've been helping us a lot with the graphics. So, I just want to credit and thank Aman and Falgun from Caravan Pictures who have created the amazing intro which has received a lot of love uh, from everybody so thank you guys and also to Simon who you will find on Twitter at FalcoFPL for helping us with all these thumbnails etc and he's helping us with the template and design pretty much throughout the season so thank you guys we really appreciate the help you've given us and uh, don't forget to like and subscribe because that really helps us grow the channel uh, and that's it from us for this week we will see you probably around Monday with a pod uh, on Defenders Bakar will be back with us and we'll be dis- discussing Defenders uh, in depth thank you again Simon for being with us and Tom. we're sure we're going to have you later in the season not Simon Tom, Tom. Sorry, it's not a pod without me having one brain fart, right? (laughs) Wonderful, Tom. Thanks for bearing with us all through the tech errors. We had a lot new tech today. Once again, pleasure having you on, and good luck with how the season starts. Cheers, guys. Thanks, thanks a lot for having me on. Pleasure. Thank you, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.